So we're in our class uh, on the heresy zone. Rod Serling is going to guide us through a little bit. Fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. Uh, ground between light and shadow, the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. This is also an area we call the heresy zone. Okay. And so our aims are becoming familiar with aspects of our early history, understand several of the major heretical moment, movements and moments for the first five centuries, reflect on our own day and place in history, be equipped to explain to others what we believe and why it is important, and then ultimately that we'll be able to be aware, be stable, and grow. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and the day of eternity. Amen. Those are our aims. So the plan is this. We've been working along through this. We did uh, this in the first class. What is heresy and how to think about it? We talked about the Ebionites. Last week we dealt with Marcion. Today we're going to look at Docetism. Then Gnosticism. Montanism, Arianism, Modalism, Manicheanism, Donatists, Nestorianism, and Pelagianism. And those are the ones we're going to cover. So, during church... Okay, Cindy, I feel right at home. Yeah. It was so funny. I can say this because none of my offspring are here, but Anna Victoria said to Derek one day, she was trying to get him to do something, and, oh, I remember, it was thank you cards, and he didn't know how to do the thank you cards because he didn't know who'd give him what, and she said, she looks at him, she goes, do you ever listen do you listen to me? Do you listen? And she pulls out all the envelopes and she says, I showed you that we were doing this. So she, all the things that were given, you know, were on the envelopes. And she goes, you don't listen to me, do you? And I was, we were, Ann and I were just going, oh, finally somebody else sees it too. Yes. Anyway, it's okay. So yes, Ecclesiastes, we finished the first and second Peter, so we'll do Ecclesiastes for eight weeks and then we'll do uh, James and then on from there, so... But nobody knows about James yet, so you didn't hear about that. Uh, delineations, defining docetism, or docetism, how you want to pronounce it, discuss modern docetic manifestations, and then describe biblical responses. And I really want some engagement here, a lot of engagement here. Uh, hopefully you, because I'm telling you in the weekly letter what we're looking at for the next week, I'm telling you here, so maybe you can take some time to look at it on your own and be thinking about some of this. So that's what we're going to do today. And again, as I've said before, most of the heresies were trying to answer our Lord's question, who do you say that I am? As Moose reminds us very often, some of them were malicious in their answer to that question. Others were probably fairly genuine. But they just got off track. Uh, not necessarily an accident, but they took off and went because every one of these are answering from within the, within the framework of their own heads, their own upbringing, and their own perspective. And docetism will be a prime example of this. Uh, and their answer is going to shape, as we said last week, it's going to shape every, uh, how they viewed many other topics, such as creation, salvation, uh, physical, God, scripture, suffering, 
etc. It's going to shape how they look at those things so then they get off task. And the point is, kind of the spider web, is a spider web of connections between what is said about Jesus and a host of other subjects. And so instead of getting lost in the weeds with someone, maybe they say something like, oh, I don't think the body really is that important. Just toss it out to the fish and who cares? Instead of getting lost in that, you know, especially if they claim to be Christians, maybe start delving into what they think about Jesus. And you may find out they really don't understand the Incarnation, for example. Because once you understand the Incarnation, it impacts a host of things. I'm hoping today that, that you'll see some of that. Anyway, so there you go. There's that. Now, um, what will become quickly obvious is that many of these movements and conceptions very much like tributary rivers, that's, those are rivers running into a big river, begin to flow into and out of one another. And so docetic emphases will show up in many places, okay? So you'll start hearing things. You'll go, well, but didn't so-and-so, didn't that other group have the same tendencies? Yes! All right, they begin to have these offspring that start growing and come out in different ways. And so there's lots of interconnection in uh, and, and, uh, most of these, okay? So let's define docetism. There's really no single culprit. There was no, no guy out there that was the spawner and, and, and sire of docetism, okay? Um, Marcion, who we le- looked at last week, leaned in this direction. There were some things that he said that went right along with this. This is where I mean they're interconnected or they start running into each other. Marcion leaned in this direction, and as you will see, uh, next, starting next week, we look at Gnosticism, you will notice the Gnostics leaned in that direction. So docetism is actually pretty, pretty uh, widespread, and it runs through many of these different aspects. Okay, does that make sense? So I just want to emphasize that. The Greek word dokine or dokesis, uh, which means, dokine means to seem, there it is in its transliteration, dokine, to seem or to appear. Dokesis is apparition or phantom. It's a word that's used throughout the New Testament, but as far as I know, I looked and, and looked and looked and looked. As far as I know, it's never used referring to Jesus in the New Testament, but it's used pretty often because it was a fairly common word. Uh, you'll see it translated as, uh, and so it seems, or so it appears. Right, so it's just an innocuous word in and of itself. All right, but I just want you to know the root word. When we talk about docetism, we're talking about something specific that has to do with the word itself—to seem or appear, apparition or phantom. And so, based on the definition of this word, dokine, what would you imagine is the main focus of docetism? Here's the definition. What would you imagine is the main focus of docetism? David. Yes, it's humanity. Whether he really was or just appeared to be so. Is that what you were going to say, Alan? Okay, very good. It's exactly right. It all has to do specifically with Jesus pointedly. Okay? And so here's the the basic uh, paradigm for docetism. He's, that Jesus is fully divine. There was no doubt. They never denied that or rarely denied that. But he appeared to be, there's docetism, he appeared to be human, which means then when it comes to the cross, 
he only appeared to suffer on the cross or he didn't suffer at all on the cross. There was a double that was switched for him, maybe Simon of Cyrene or Judas. Okay? Does anybody remember the old movie, the, the rock movie, Jesus Christ Superstar? I thought he, they were going to go there and have Judas be the one on the cross because the way the show begins. Because it sounds like he's the winner. But, you know, anyways, it was really interesting. So uh, that's it. I mean, that's docetism. He just appeared to be human. He was fully divine, but not human. Does anybody know any particular religious group right now or a huge religious tradition where the deities never become human? They only put on the form of humanity for a period of time, and then when suffering comes or evil comes, they just... Huh? Uh, Greek mythology, um, yeah. Yeah, that was often in the Iliad. Yeah, they would show up in some form, but it was only temporary. Yeah. But there's one right now that's a world, I mean, it's a world religion. Oh, we'll get there in a minute. But no, yes, yes, Christian science. Keep Christian science in mind. But there's a world religion. Christian science, is, I think, is shrinking. You almost never see any of their facilities hardly anymore. Hinduism. The gods put on an avatar. Does this name sound familiar? Those of you who are in social media. Puts on an avatar for a period of time to reveal something to humans, but then as soon as evil and suffering come, they throw off the human form because they can never suffer. Which is really interesting. That whole concept. They can never suffer. And so they zip off the human form and zap away. Okay? Really interesting. So, um, so those are the basic concepts of docetism. Any questions before we move on? All right. So uh, the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology says this: docetism, a term used to refer to a theological perspective regarded the sufferings and the human aspects of Christ as imaginary or apparent instead of being part of a real incarnation. If Christ suffered, He was not divine. And if He was God, He could not suffer. That's that last statement, okay? That is a very Greek and Roman religious statement. This is why I said earlier that docetism is a prime example of trying to answer the question, who do you say that I am from within your own framework that you're used to? The gods could not suffer, and so therefore, obviously, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never could have fully become human, or at all human. Yes? Yes, right, 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 yeah. Right, did you all hear that? So if he only appeared to be human, then salvation is not real and only appears to be, and, and so forth. And so, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Well, it depends on which brand you're going with. Right, so when we get the Gnosticism, they have a whole answer. It's a whole 
knowledgeable answer. That was a joke. Gnosticism, knowledge. But they have a whole system set up to remedy that, to actually answer that. Okay? But that's a great observation. Exactly right. So keep thinking that way. They're working from within their paradigm. That's just, yeah, that's the way, that's, that's, what they, that's what they got from their mother's milk as they were nursing at her breast. That's what was in the drinking water. Everything about them, their politics, everything, everything shouted the same thing over and over again. This happens all the time. It was a presupposition. Yes, and that's a good point to keep in mind. It was a presupposition and everybody pretty well agreed with it, and that's what they talked without defending it, okay? Oh, yeah, right, right. Or, or trying to impose human wisdom over Scripture. So, yeah, it's a great point. Yes, Scott. It would just be... Yeah, it would just, how would they deal with that? They, him saying that is just that uh, they would just say he appeared to. I mean, that's all they could say in the end. Yes, Neil. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, so think, yeah, no. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that's a great point. The motivation may have been, it was an unintended consequence. The motivation may have been to overemphasize the divinity because at the same time, as we started out with, the Ebionites went the other direction. All human, no divine. And so they may have been knee-jerk reaction trying to overcompensate in the other direction, but then then Scott Levy walks into one of their gatherings and says, yeah, how do you deal though with the suffering of Jesus where he talks about it, you know? And then they start, that's when they start tap dancing and doing other things. And so the presupposition kicks in, okay? But yeah, I mean, that's a great observation and that's actually instructive for us to make sure that we don't overreact and overemphasize. So a good example is in Calvinism, you know, um, to become overreactive on God's sovereignty to the exclusion of any human free will. And I love our confession because it actually puts a whole chapter on human free will in there. And then several other places it talks about it. So that way you're not overemphasizing it and end up in fatalism, for example. Right? So yes. Right, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then you end up in the ditch. That's right, John. Yeah. Docetism. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So this is what I said before you came in. Like tributary rivers flowing into a big stream, these things begin to start flowing into each other. So Marcion, and I'm glad you brought it up, this Marcion leaned, as I mentioned earlier, toward docetism. So yes, 
The point is, yes. But yeah, but that, I was pointing that out because of that reason. Yes. Yeah. Great question. Wait. Yes, good segue, but we're not there yet. Hold on to that thought, though. That's a good question, John, because that's what we're going to get to in the second part of this, okay? Because I really want you to start answering that question. But that's a great question. And that's what I want us to do is be thinking about our moment and saying, how does docetism show up? It does show up, okay? But how does it show up? Not so that we can walk around and say, oh, they're all docetists and we're the pure, but to be be forewarned to learn from it so that we don't fall into that trap and we can help others, okay? Because what we're going to find with most of these heresies, which we already found, Randy brought it up last week, some of these heresies soft versions of them show up even in our own families with people who are godly people, okay? And so just seeing it will help us, okay? So good. So here's the next one. This is from Alistair McGrath's book, Heresy, again, which I highly recommend. He said, there are two types of docetism that can be identified which are clearly related but not identical. The first relates to Christ's incarnation. Jesus Christ could not really be properly human as there was no way in which the divine and the human could coexist in a single being. Going back to presuppositions, that's part of a Roman Greek presupposition. So there's a great divide between the gods and human. But that they're only partial. Yeah, they're just that's that's totally and they're a totally different creature. Right? Yeah, 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 right. And so then, it, here's the second one. Christ would therefore have to be totally spiritual, that means, you know, um, non-physical here, in nature. The second relates to his suffering on the cross. Even if Christ was indeed truly human, he did not really suffer on the cross. And that moves close to adoptionism, where Christ comes upon Jesus, the human Jesus, at his baptism, and then leaves the human Jesus at the crucifixion, or before the crucifixion. Okay? Any questions before we move on? Yes, Bob. Yeah, he's just trying to he's just trying to show that even adoptionism leans in this direction. Yeah, and so, which we talked about with uh, Ebionites. Um. No, it's I mean it's so it's the Ebionites as part of this. Is there a significant denomination? Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Yep. 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 It may, it may not even be in the group. It may just be... Folk religion prevails. All right, folk religion is Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Eve free. It's like, I mean, it's just out there, right? And so people will say really weird things that don't fit in with the orthodoxy maybe of their denomination, but they've never said anything and been corrected, you know, and so you'll come up with, people will say odd things at times. Yeah, 
So I, probably not a group. There is a group, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Cindy's already let the cat out of the bag. There is a particular denomination that actually holds to this, okay, to some, to some great extent. And so, and that was not a, a smack or anything. All right, so um, anyways, that's docetism. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly, fairly simple perspective, and it fits within the Greek and Roman presuppositions of the time, and it is a, probably an overreaction to Ebionitism and trying to make sure, possibly even trying to preserve God's holiness. There were probably some, not all maybe, but some probably had some very, um, uh, very um, upright intentions in what they were saying. I don't know how else to put that. But. So let's do this then. Where have you heard similar thoughts? Okay? So where have you heard similar thoughts? That Jesus was not truly, he didn't suffer, Jesus was not truly human. Yes, sir. Ah. Yes, isn't that interesting? Yeah. The, yeah. It's interesting because they're more Ebionite because he was not divine but fully human, but then he didn't suffer. And they even go on to say that probably it was Simon Cyrene or somebody that died on the cross, not Jesus. Right? So there's a mixture of Ebionites, Ebionitism and Docetism. It's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's probably possibly true. Keep that thought about New Ageism in mind. What else? Where else maybe have you heard this? In what way? Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Anybody else? So let's walk through this just a minute, okay? So this is C. C. Fitzsimmons Allison. I quoted from him last week. Remember, he was a bishop in the Episcopal Church, wrote this book in the 80s, 90s, somewhere in there, as he's watching the, his denomination begin to decay even more from within. And he's actually seeing these things show up within his denomination in various ways, though they're not the official denominational position, they're showing up, okay? And so some of this is very personal to him. Um, but he gives a list in his book, The Cruelty of Heresy, he gives a list of four observable docetic manifestations in the 20th century, which would be easy to show up here. The first one, Islam. Right? It is a Christian heresy, yeah. Yeah, it's a Christian heresy. So Islam... Um, Christian Science and Mary Baker Eddy. So there's Cindy. I just gave Cindy a high five. Because there, the whole notion is that suffering is not real. And so then, and then, then they apply that with Jesus and all, it all comes out of that. So, which makes you wonder. I remember there was a senator in Texas who was Christian scientist and his wife died from cancer and it was a miserable death. And I just wondered, how does that work 
in his context. You know, but it, that suffering is only an illusion. New Age spiritualism, right? And New Age spiritualism really took off in the 60s and 70s as we're all doing, well, not us, of course, none of us, but doing psychedelic drugs and drawing in everything, trying to be the alternative because we're tired of Christianity as we've known it and so forth. And you start having all of that begins to grow and then it really kicks in in the, in the 90s. I still remember the sign I saw on a, on a light post, one of the, excuse me, a wooden telephone pole. And it said, come to this address for this meeting so that you too can attain Christ's consciousness. Wow, that sounds really weird, you know. So it's that same kind of thing. It was just the absorption of Eastern uh, Easternism, Hindu. Uh, yeah, Hare Krishna. Yeah, Hare Krishna is just a light form of Hinduism, and Americans are just in love with something that's other than the normal. Probably. And here's Ben, the prosperity gospel. Maybe not all Pentecostals. But I thought it was interesting that he brings up that the prosperity gospel, because it's all about not suffering. And so then Jesus is the succeeder, the successful one, and so forth. Okay? But that was really observant on his part. This goes on. Before I go any further, any questions up to this point? Yes, Alan. Yeah, I think what he's where he's driving at this is the fact that we don't have to suffer, that Christ actually takes that suffering from us, but it's his own, he's the great success. And so you see this, for example, and this is part of the prosperity gospel. When you start putting out books like Jesus, the great CEO, here's how you too can succeed like Jesus, right? That's moving in that direction without full-blown docetism. It's moving in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Martin Luther had a, uh, had a rule of thumb, and I'll give you the Latin phrase, so if you remember this, you'll really sound impressive when you go see your doctor, okay? Crux, crux, crux probat omnia, which means the cross is the test of all things, right? So where does the cross fit in that scheme? Go talk to... Uh, Joel Osteen and ask him where the cross fits in his scheme and you'll see what I'm talking about, right? Crux probat omnia. The cross is the test of all things. Right, right, right. Yes, yes. Right, he was living within that and that was within his Jewish presupposition. God cannot suffer, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. What was the, who was the gal that in the 90s or early 2000s that, I don't remember, she was some movie star or something and she talked about be, being God or something. It was, yes! I was like, girlfriend, you in a heap of trouble. All right, so, okay, uh, so, he goes further and he shows how the docetic itch gets scratched in other ways in our day. 
So let me just go, let me read these, this one and the next one, but be thinking about how this works out, okay? So docetism will always appeal to those whose commitment to the ideals stops when practicing them requires our very presence. I'm religious, but I don't believe in institutional Christianity is often another docetic way to say, I want to be spiritual without the ambiguities, frustrations, and responsibilities that embody spiritual commitment. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? And so he's actually not saying it's full-blown docetism, but it is a leaning in that direction, right? So it's not an embodied. It's easy, it's easy to talk about love for mankind or humankind. But usually people that shout at the loudest ask them, what have you done for humankind? in the neighborhood where you live, right? And I don't know about you, but my experience has been they're usually pretty nasty people sometimes when it deals with real live human people, okay? He goes on to write, he says, docetism in all of its forms is a religion of flight, of cowardice, of suicide. Docetic heresies grow in the soil of sentimental and antiseptic love where hopes are too small to be disappointing, commitments too shallow for risk, Loyalties too slight to be betrayed, passions too weak to be hurt. And so that's, I appreciate what he's driving at there. So there are docetic tendencies that you see going on amongst even Orthodox Christians. What, thinking about what uh, Fitzsimmons Allison has just said, what might be some examples of that uh, that are easy, they're pretty easy targets. Yeah, theological liberalism, that's a really easy target. What else? Sure? Yeah? Yes? Okay, don't deal, don't deal properly with shame and guilt, right? Looking for solutions that don't deal with shame and guilt. What else? How about the person that you met at the... I, I met her, she was a barista at a coffee place. And she goes, oh, I love Jesus he, we are, we're in tight, but I don't like church and Christians, and so I don't hang out with Christians. Well, and I told her, which didn't go very well. I told her, I said, well, then you don't love Jesus. If you don't love his people, you don't really love him, right? But that docetic trend is, let's do virtual church, because real church is too stinking messy. People actually take coffee in the sanctuary, spill it on the floor. I can't believe they would do such a thing, or whatever. Right? Yes. 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 Oh, yes. Oh, you're going to get my Gnostic uh, hackles up here in a minute. So we'll deal with that next week. But start with next week. But that's a good point. That's a great example Right? So not fully there, fully human. Um, what would you think about? Think about the incarnation for a minute. And what does the incarnation say? And somebody's already, John already referenced this. What would the incarnation, Jesus being fully God and fully human, actually say to us if we decided to be a multi-campus church that videos into the other campuses Mike Philibur? but he never shows up in person. It's only a video. What might the incarnation and docetism actually be saying to that? 
This is a question I asked, by the way, on our theological exams committee when, I'm exam when we're examining every new ordinance. I always come to this. It's actually in our theological paper, our theological exams paper. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's the way to put it. it. They lessen the incarnation, the value of the incarnation when there's non a non-embodied presence. You know, that that's the that that's the actual program, right? So we you know, we video, but that's not the program. That's only temporary for if you're sick or whatever, right? We want you here because we want to be with you. I want to be I want to be with you. All right? You may not want to be with me, but I want to be with you. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, uh, you'd have to ask them. I'm sure that it's probably, you know, all that matters is that we get out the gospel to more people, and if this is the way we do it, then this is the way we do it. And it's more, pra probably the answer is pragmatism. Yeah, not principle pragmatism. I'm just guessing. Mm-hmm. I would, yeah. So, like I said, we, I, we, this is on our theological exam for new ordinance, right? And I ask it all the time. And the incarnation actually speaks to it. If God Himself did not come as a hologram, but came in flesh and blood and bones and hair, and you could smell Him, you could feel Him. If you were to lick His skin, you'd lick salt, right? If that's what God did, then that needs to probably shape the way we do ministry. Some things can be temporary, right? Emergency situations, but as a permanent thing, we got a problem. There was a, you talked about the avatars coming in. There was a, there was a, something I saw in an article that there was this was some years back, the virtual pastor, where the congregation was able to actually tweak what the pastor looked like and his accent on the screen. Okay, and so it's like it's crazy. <clears throat> There's a local campus pastor. Right. 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 Yeah, I mean, so it's a blessed inconsistency. They realize the embodied presence needs to be there. And so they have a campus pastor. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they do. And that's, that's just it. It's, there's, yeah, yeah. So the th part of it is, if you're, if you're dealing not with pragmatics, right? So first off, if you just do things for pragmatic reasons, then it, you go all kinds of places. If you do it for principle, part of what you have to do is you have to think, you have to start asking, 
what else is this related to? So when you start talking about the incarnation, what else is this related to? And we're going to get into some of it here in a minute because you're going to give me the answers. Ha But what else is this related to and why is this so important? And that's part of the problem is that's where we're not asking those other questions. We, the broad general picture of North American Christianity. So you're, that's a great observation. John? Yeah, you do. Right. Sure. That's what Sydney was talking about, was that they have campus pastors. There are some that don't. I mean, so, I mean, let's just go to Robert Schuler. I love picking on Robert Schuler. You know, he started at a, he starts at a big screen, um, uh, drive-in theater, you know, there's no, I mean, even though he's physically there, it was, he wanted, he didn't want to have anything to do with these people in the sense of personal engagement. He wanted to draw in the numbers. That's all he was after, pragmatics, draw in the numbers. And so he creates the drive-in church where there's no community there. I mean, the incarnation says huge things to that, right? But I, I agree, I agree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, my point was to get us to be thinking about because it's too easy to slip into, well, they're doing it and they've got the biggest church in all of the U.S. Why don't we go do that? Well, there's reasons why we don't do that. So in the PCA, I don't think you'll find a church in the PCA doing that because the incarnation is so significant to us, intentionally so. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, discipleship and other things, mercy ministry. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. A young lady in Midland, she'd moved from Washington State. You may remember her. She moved from Washington State, was a divorcee, um, had two kids. Anyways, and she was, looking, she was looking for a guy. So she goes to the big church in town that's kind of the rock and roll church, and she finds him, of course, and then so she brings him to our church. I guess she was looking for our approval or something, but she, bring, she wasn't even a member. But she brings me to our church. One of the things he said to me was exactly that. He says, the reason I like going over there is because I'm anonymous. And I just had to say to him, well, that's not church, brother. You know? And he was like, I don't care. I'm anonymous. 
Okay. Randy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard, you know, so it's easy to say that it's hard to do it because every denomination has different requirements, you know. And so, I mean, anyway, and some don't even have any requirements, I mean, in that sense of education. So, okay, good. Well, let's all move to the UK. So I want you to think about some passages that declare or develop the incarnation and what it means. That's where I want you to go with that. The incarnation and what it means. Christ's suffering and our suffering. And then specifically address... There are some passages that specifically address docetism because it's an early heresy. So think of some passages. Tell me some answers here. Yes, the Lord became... Yes. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1, 14, the Incarnation. What does that mean? Even in that statement, it tells you partly what that means. Keep going with that verse. Lord, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Come on, Kristen. Come on, Kristen. You can do it. Come on, girl. Think about it. He dwelt among us. We beheld God in the flesh. God did not disdain humanity. I mean, you could just do all kinds of things with verse 14. John 1, 14. Okay? Yes. Yes, dwelt means... Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. That one's pretty, 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 pretty potent because it's a uh, pitch a tent. He pitched his tent next to us. Yeah. Right, right, right. I'm sorry? Yes, he tabernacled amongst us. What else? What would be another passage? Yes. Yes. Still had a physical presence. He about the resurrection passages where he cooks fish and then he hands fish to the disciples in Luke 24, right? To show that he was not a spirit, an emphatic, anti-docetic statement. Right? What else? What else would be some other ones? Yes, David. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Right, right. And so that's what Alan was talking about at the beginning. But also think about this. Think about 2 Corinthians 1. So that, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation with the comfort with which He... Uh, 
has given us in Christ Jesus. So as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also the consolation of Christ abounds in us. When we're suffering united to Jesus, our suffering is His. He did suffer on our behalf and somehow in that union with Christ, ours is being uh, matches His and so does also the comfort. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways you can go with that in passages that emphasize the comfort that comes from knowing that God came, became fully human so that He could suffer with us and for us. So that you can finally say, by His wounds, you have been healed. Isaiah 53, 1 Peter chapter 2, right? So what about uh, some passages that specifically address docetism? Who said, what? 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6 is specifically about docetism. If they say that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they are antichrist. That's pretty tolerant language. I like it, yes. Right? I mean, just very in your face. And it's actually also in 2 John, the same thing. No, he's talking about the resurrection. If he didn't rise from the dead, where would be more pity than... But still, that still implies death because you have to die to get be raised, resurrected. Yeah. So good. Oh, yeah, I mean, they could play with that all day long, but, but uh, yeah, because Paul's, I mean, you're, you're talking about God, so you're already stretching human language, and so he's just doing, the, he's putting that in there. So he, whatever, whatever God is, the Son is, that's the form. And so somebody could play with that, just like it will go on to say later on, and he became in the appearance of man. But it's not the word dosed, dosed, uh, dokine, it's, uh, it's just it's this, the, the visual, he... he was visually a man, but it, that's how it's translated. He appeared to be man. But you could have people play with that all day long, so you need to know um, that's not what those guys are saying, and you can see it very clearly. But that's a great question. What else? What other passages? Yes, in this world you have tribulation, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And he's talking about his death, right? So any others? Yes, there are lots of others. Any others that you can think of? Oh, yeah. 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 So, and that's a great point, talking about the death and Jesus, uh, his crying out on the cross. I wrote that as part of a prayer I wrote for a minister whose wife committed suicide, that here's the son who has entered into the very same suffering and complaint you had and even cried out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you may feel that way at this point. Know that you're not alone, right? So the suffering of Christ is, I don't know about you, but it's just, it's buoying. Okay? So very good. Okay, so that's docetism. We will run again across more. You will just, like I said, like the tributaries in a river, these things begin to start overlapping and they go in different places, each one of these. Uh, next week we will pick up 
Gnosticism, I forewarn you, that was my doctoral thesis, and I'll probably spread it out at least to two Sundays. Could go longer, because I got lots of things to say about it. So, but do look up Gnosticism. What is it? Um, it's easy to find. You can go to Theopedia. If you've got an online access, go to Theopedia. Look up Gnosticism. You'll get a sense of what it is. It's a pretty short definition there. Uh, and then start thinking through, where have you seen these things? Because it is rampant in the 21st century in the United States of America, just in, at least in one place. Okay, and we'll talk about those things. Yeah, there, there was. There was a pastor who wrote a book on it, yes. There was. I almost thought about grabbing copies and bringing them. But, um, so let's, um, that's what we'll do next week. We'll be talking about Gnosticism next week. So let's, uh, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man, the eternal Son of God who became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures in one person forever. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, you did that for us and for our salvation. We thank you that you walked dusty streets. You knew what it was to deal with ornery people. You suffered on our behalf. You suffered for us. You know what we're going through. You know, you know the struggles. It's so good to know that God is up close, has tabernacled with us. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. And we pray that you would help us to winsomely and graciously be able to portray the good news to other people, people who maybe don't see the value of it, and that we may be effective in doing that and watch the lights come on as you open their hearts. Lord, we get, get ready to gather into the great assembly now to worship you. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would draw us close. All in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.